Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Oh, I'm so glad to be in the house of God with you. It may look like a volleyball court, but right now it is the house of God. And there's something that's so special about, I know I say this every week, but it just strikes me anew. Like every time we're together, just hearing your voices, seeing you come here, there's just something when the world feels dark to realize that there are others who are just who are faithfully seeking. We're not doing it perfectly. You may have had a terrible week, but you're still here, right? Something has drawn you here, wherever you are on this journey. We're gonna talk about the places that our heart might be on this journey through this story this morning. But before we even get started, I just wanna acknowledge, we know that this has been a terribly difficult week for our community, uh, for any of us who brings kids to school, we feel uh, the weight of what's happening in our world. So Matt Fisher, who's our care pastor, he's gonna close the service today uh, with a time of prayer for all of us together. So I want you to know that. But it is intentionally at the end of the service because Jesus came into a world that was dark, darker than the world we live in. Jesus came into the world and he operated differently than other people, and he, and he called his followers actually to operate differently, and he did it in the way that he preached, and he did it in the way that he taught, but he also did it very significantly in the way that he told stories, in the way that he told stories when he was walking along with his disciples. So over the course of this summer, we're gonna be looking at some of these stories that Jesus told, what Jesus felt like was important to bring fresh language to, to really connect with his listeners, to meet them in their everyday life with stories that would feel really relevant to them. But the thing about stories is they're easy to miss. They're easy to disregard. They're easy to say, oh yeah, like I've heard that story a million times if you've heard the story of the sower and the seed. But hopefully this summer, our desire is that we would have ears to hear, that this word would fall fresh in your heart in a way that you can't manufacture, but that only God could do, that you could actually cultivate the soil of your heart so that you might hear it different. So let's talk a little bit about parables as we get started. Parables, we've talked about this before here, the idea of a parable is that Jesus is throwing down a spiritual truth using regular life. So there's like a regular life story going on, and then within the parable, there's this essential thing to understand that he's leaving there, but he's not making it super, super clear. Most of the time when Jesus told stories, he did not interpret what they mean. This story he does. So we're gonna look at that in just a moment. But many, many of the stories that he told, Jesus wouldn't necessarily interpret them. He would just say, if you have ears to hear, let us hear. Now for us, in our instant gratification culture, where it feels like, man, if you can't tell me in 30 seconds on a reel what you're trying to say, then I don't think I have the attention span for it. This is hard for us to pick up. Do you know what my hope is for you guys? I actually hope you leave slightly disturbed today and you find yourself just thinking about this story because that's what it's done to me over this last week. It's just made me think about it. And I think part of what we're doing here is we're actually like asking Jesus to walk with us through everyday life and be mildly disturbed to try to figure out what he's actually trying to say to us. And that's kind of his approach. So like I said, there's kind of three kinds of spiritual language as we just get started with parables, okay? And we're really familiar with two kinds because two kinds make this room make sense, right? The first kind that we know that Jesus does is he preaches. So the idea of preaching is like proclamation, so when Jesus first entered his public ministry, that's when he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. 
the idea of preaching is this, this thought that like, whenever you've had that feeling, when you've been here and you've thought, oh my gosh, I think that the pastor was speaking directly to me. Well, it wasn't the pastor speaking directly to you. It was the Holy Spirit speaking directly to you. And that's what preaching is supposed to do. It's supposed to make us feel like, oh my gosh, this is a message for me. I don't know about you guys, but that happens for me a lot during worship music, where I'm like, oh yeah, like there are walls in my heart. Like, come Lord, tear down the walls of my heart. That's the preaching part of language, what we do here together, right? The second kind that we're also familiar with that you hear sort of week in, week out from John and myself and others is teaching. And teaching is like, okay, how do we take everyday life and understand it? How do we take theology and make it practical? Jesus does this particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, where he says here, this is what the kingdom of God is like, and this is what it means to be blessed. Preaching and teaching are really common for us in this world that we're in. That's the way we receive. Like, you guys be quiet, except for the occasional amen, which I know makes us all feel a little bit nervous. Like, whenever I say, like, hi, and I'm like, say something back, you guys are like, hey, there's a lot of people in here. So that makes sense, right? But the reality is most of Jesus's language is with a third kind of way that we connect spiritually. And this third kind of way is when Jesus walks along. It's in all of the traveling in between as he's with his disciples and he notices something. He notices a field or he notices a poor widow putting her money in the offering or he notices people building things or he notices wine or a festival or a feast or his disciples ask him a question and he responds. Much of spiritual language is actually that kind of conversation. The section of Luke that we're going to look at this summer is those spiritual conversations from like Luke chapter 8 to about 18. It's like 10 chapters where spiritual truth is becoming a practical reality as Jesus actually has conversations, as he talks with his friends and he leads them to stories that invite them to find spiritual reality. I wish for us that we might become a church who knows how to do spiritual conversations, who knows how to talk to each other, like, what do you feel like God's teaching you in life right now? You know, that's what we do in our discipleship track is we, we help create spaces for spiritual conversations because that's a lot of what Jesus does. The in-between, the in-between earth and heaven Jesus' in-between is where Jesus primarily teaches about what it's like to live in this in-between. For those of you guys who've watched Stranger Things, you know that Stranger Things upside down? Have you remember the upside down? It's like this whole other reality that's happening. Thank you for my sound effects. Appreciate that. <laughs> if you know about it, even if you don't know about it, basically picture in, the, in Stranger Things, there's the world and then there's the upside down, which is a full alternate reality that's always happening. Jesus, I think, would like stranger things. I think he would say the kingdom of heaven is like stranger things, where there's a whole nother reality happening all around you. Because this is what Jesus did. He used fresh language that was culturally relevant to help his listeners understand what the kingdom of God was like. And by the way, if that whole analogy just disturbed you because stranger things is violent, good. Because Jesus often said things that were really disturbing. He used analogies that people were like, wait, what? Come again? Are you serious? They were meant to do that, which is why I think like at the end of our passage, Jesus calls out anyone who has ears to hear, anyone who desires to understand, 
that you'll understand, but you have to actually desire to want to understand. If Jesus was telling stories today, I imagine he would talk about stock markets and investment accounts. He would talk about food stamps and Bitcoin. He would talk about movie stars and celebrity pastors and pro athletes and reality TV and personal injury lawyers. <laughs> so our job today is to engage with the world that Jesus was in so we can hear what he's telling us as we go along. The first thing I want you to know is that unlike Stranger Things, Jesus is never freaking out when he's telling his stories. He isn't raising his voice. He doesn't talk like he's in a crisis. He tells stories casually in conversation. He moves freely and lightly through a world of chaos and depression and pain. And he's telling us how to do the same thing. But he doesn't do it with a megaphone or a microphone. He does it with stories of farmers and barns and good people and busy people about coins and sheep and seeds and treasures and all the normal language that would surround the people of the day. So our job is to enter into the stories that Jesus told with ears to hear what he has for us today. Parables show us how Jesus engages with the real world regardless of religion. Do you know why people were disturbed somewhat by Jesus' stories? Because he doesn't use God talk. He doesn't use religious, religious cliche. Often, actually, as he gets closer to the cross, Matthew 8 through 18, he actually talks less about God. Like, he uses less of those kinds of stories. And he talks about virtues and values and the way that human nature engages with the world. And that was very disturbing to people because God talk is comfortable. I've been doing some work outside of the church in some different places, different companies, and as I do, I recognize my own uncomfortableness with needing to engage with people without being able to use God talk. And, and believe me, God talk is comfortable and it's wonderful and it's like our little way of saying like, hey, are you in? I'm in too. But actually, as followers of Jesus, we're called to know how to engage life talk, human talk, heart talk, because that's what Jesus does so beautifully. So we're gonna look at this parable today, and as we think about this summer unfolding, this idea of stories Jesus told, this is what I wrote about it. It takes true knowledge of the things of God to see God in all things. The more you desire to see God in all the things, in your comings and goings of your daily life, in the pain and the struggle, in the way that you interpret the world and the times that we live in, it actually takes a very deep knowledge of God to be able to see God in all things. And the invitation of a parable is to see powerful and personal truth in ordinary life. So today's parable is the parable of the seed and the sower. And this is a very familiar parable. I wanted to start here because it's at the beginning of our travel narrative, but also because it is so familiar but I want to invite you to see it differently today that one of our ongoing challenges in life is to honestly engage and respond to the condition of our soul. If I was going to sort of sum up this parable, and we're going to, we're going to parse it out a little bit, but if I was going to sum up the parable, this is what I would say about it. Our ongoing challenge, something that may have been easy for you at some time, maybe it's harder for you at other times, is to honestly engage with the condition of our soul. How's your soul today? How's your soul doing? How have you been tending your soul this week or this month? 
Because as we'll see in this parable, what God invites us to is the work of cultivating the soil of our heart, cultivating the patch of ground that is our heart in a way that allows God's word to permeate into our lives. And that truly is what we're going to talk about today. So here's the parable. Let's dive a little bit deeper in and see what it has to say. So a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town. And he said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Who sowed the seed? Yeah. Anyone have a guess on who the farmer is? I, I, oh, whenever it's the first question, you can always say Jesus, like it's fine, okay? So we know that when Jesus starts telling these stories, especially most of the time and in a different narrative, he'll say the kingdom of God is like. So once you hear the kingdom of God is like, that's your clue. Okay, the person who's gonna be like the main character is always gonna be God, okay? So God is sowing his seed, right? And as he's scattering the seed, here's our first condition of the heart right here. Some fell along the path, it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. So in, Eastern, in the Eastern-like landscape that Jesus would be talking about, you would have a little scratch path where you would be like throwing out your seed for your farming, and there would be little trails in between the fields, right, that were hard packed down, that animals used, that people used in between the fields. So even as that seed is scattered, and for any of you guys who like love grass, you know that there's so many seeds, right? And they just fling far and wide. And if you've ever scattered grass seed, you know tons of it will land on the sidewalk or the driveway because it's so light and there's so much of it that you've got to get, just sort of get it spread out, right? So in, in this case, this would be in the patch of ground that was owned by the farmer, it would be in that soil, but within that soil, there would be these hard-packed paths. And the seed that scattered and fell there, it was trampled on, the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, this is gonna be group two, the plants withered because they had no moisture. So they, they got into the ground, the roots went down, they started to come up. This is the only kind of plants that I grow. I'm not sure if it's because of rocky ground or the fact that I forget to water them, but one of those two things. My husband was recently, my husband takes care of all the plants in our house, and he recently watered one of our fake plants for like six months. He thought it was real the whole time. I had known better, I knew it was time to buy a fake plant. It always looks good, but he was like, I watered that thing for six months. <laughs> Um, other seed fell among thorns. This is our third soil, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And then still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. The problem is not our ears. The problem is ears to hear. A lot of times I think we live in selective listening. Selective listening is so common that people write about it, right? I think about what makes me have selective listening. If I hear something that could be helpful to me, or I hear something here, what keeps me from receiving it? Here's three things that I wrote down. Selective listening happens when we don't think what's being said will help. Selective listening happens when we don't wanna feel bad about ourselves. How many of us grew up in church where we're used to like feeling really bad by the time we leave? Like it's just like a mental beat down. You're just supposed to be here so that you can receive some guilt and shame. As if you didn't have enough of that already, someone just really wanted to grind it in. So we, we, we're here and we come or we go, let's say you go to the gym or you go somewhere else and you're like, I, I wanna receive, but I, don't, I actually don't wanna feel bad about myself. So I'm not really interested in hearing everything that's being said. 
And then the third thing is we actually don't know how. We don't know what to do with what we receive, and that makes us feel bad. Most of us like to avoid feeling bad, so we don't listen. So I want to invite you, instead of to selective listening, I want to invite you today to appreciative listening. Appreciative listening is saying, I'm going to have ears to hear. I'm going to have ears to hear and expect that what I'm hearing is actually meant for me. It's not meant for anyone else. It's meant for me. The second way we can have appreciative listening is with a tolerance to wrestle. So that's what I was talking about, the ability to say, Ugh, I don't know how to interpret this. I'm not able to like, write the perfect social media post about this because I can't find like, my one-word thought. It's the ability to say, I'm willing to wrestle with this because I'm not really sure how I feel about it, but I'm tolerant to do so. And then the third thing is what we talked about before. It's a commitment to actually take it with us. A commitment to say, I'm just going to keep thinking about that. When I come and go, when I drive to work or school, I'm going to just be thinking about this. And I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to reveal to me what he wants me to know. That's what appreciative listening takes. Every single parable that we'll hear will be about this idea of appreciative listening. Are we willing to receive what God has for us? If you noticed in this parable, only one of the seeds that lands actually turns out well out of four. Now, I've heard many people preach, and they love to say, that means only one out of four of you. It's not my fault. It's that you guys aren't willing to hear. I interpret this a little bit differently. I actually think that we can go through seasons where how we receive is very different. And in many ways, maybe we find ourselves in all four of these conditions. I also think that there can be parts of our heart that may feel different in different seasons. There may be a place in your life where you're really yielded to God. You know, you're showing up on a Sunday. Like, that's a big deal. There's a lot of other things you could be doing this morning, but something brought you here. You're yielded to God in some places, but perhaps there are other places in your heart that feel thorny or rocky or highly trafficked. So as you listen, I'd like to ask you to receive it in that way. As you think about these conditions of our soul, remember that you may be in one of these places globally, or you may be in one of these places with specificity, with a certain circumstance or relationship that you're in. So receive it in that way. Let's talk about the four places that God's word falls in our soul and what we can do about it. First one, high traffic zones. He's scattering the seed and it falls on the path and the path is so hard packed that the seed has no chance of getting in. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, This is what Jesus said. I jumped over to Matthew for this one. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, remember that's what we're talking about. Remember, anyone hears the message about the kingdom and they don't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. High traffic zones, the problem is not the seed. The problem is the soil. The problem is the condition of that soil. There's nothing wrong with seed that falls on a path. The reason that it cannot penetrate, the reason that it can't bear fruit, the reason it can't take root is because that place is so highly trafficked, it's so packed down that there is no way that that soil is going to allow anything to get into it. Friends, I think there are two ways that our hearts can have high traffic zones. The first way is that we hear the message of the gospel and we just don't have a place for it in our soul. We're we're people who really don't think we need a savior. 
And I just wanna be the first person to say that. Like if you're here and you know that's the condition of your heart, that's a high traffic zone. It is hard packed down. It's a place where you think, I'm actually doing okay in life. I don't think I really need any more. And you probably aren't saying that to anyone else. But in the depths of your heart, you're like, I mean, I think I'm a good person. And that's one condition of our heart that can be so hard packed that even when the seed lands on it, even when the word comes, even when you might have a moment of longing or desire for something more in your life, it fle- it's fleeting. It's gone by the time you have lunch today. And that is a sad and tragic way to live because our creator, God, created us for a relationship with him. And when we live outside of relationship with him, we live in relationship of the kingdom of self, and that kingdom is so small and so confining, and it never actually delivers on its promises, so it's sad. But the reality is many of us have such a hard-packed road in our heart that the seed just cannot penetrate in that place. There's a second condition that can create a high traffic zone, and perhaps this one is even more dangerous than the other. And the second condition is that our hearts have become callous to the words of God because we've been sitting here for so long. We've been here Sunday after Sunday. We became Christians when we were babies. I love when people tell, I just just had someone say to me, I was born on a Tuesday, I was in church on a Sunday, so I've been a Christian since then. And I was like, I feel that, I get that, and it's beautiful, it's a beautiful heritage to be raised in the faith. I never wanna disrespect being raised in the faith, particularly in this season where there's a lot of deconstruction. I know there's a lot that might've come with your faith that wasn't great, but to have a heritage and a legacy of being raised in the faith is a good thing. But the dangerous thing is when our hearts become so callous and the words become so familiar, and this just becomes a ritual that we're a part of. And in the quiet place of our heart when we think about it, we haven't encountered God in a long time. We haven't experienced Jesus in a way that brings joy to our heart or peace to our soul. We're not desperately seeking God because we've just become so callous to the words that it feels like just another thing we do, just like the grocery store or the post office or school. Jesus had something to say about this. He actually quotes Isaiah. And he says this, I think, with so much, so much compassion and sadness. For these people's hearts are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. But see, see the motive that Jesus has. He says, all of this causes them to not be able to turn to me so I can heal them. It's like seeing someone who's just bleeding out, who's just so damaged and hurt, but they won't accept help. And I think that's how Jesus sees us when our hearts are callous. He says, look at the people that I love who are out there, and instead of coming to me so I can heal them, they're calloused. It's a hard, packed place in the soil of their heart. There are well-traveled paths in our soul where we can lose connection with God. And yet nothing is wrong with the seed. It's just that the soil is so high-trafficked and so much is traveling over it so quickly that there isn't a chance for the soil to be overturned. The second group in Jesus' parable is right here. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. And this is what Jesus had to say about the second group. 
The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, and then they fall away when they face temptation. In another place in the passage, he talks about the kind of people who receive the gospel message, but the trouble comes and they get scorched. Again, the problem is not with the seed, but with the roots. A diagnostic of the depth of our roots can help us when trouble comes. When trouble comes into our life, personally or into our community, when trouble comes into our culture, it is a chance for us to diagnose our roots. Growing deep roots takes time and attention. And believe me, I love the joy of new faith. I started in student ministry. I love youth retreats. I love when people become Christians at retreats. All of that's amazing, but there's always this little part of my heart that thinks, okay, when you get back to your life, what's gonna happen next? Real world. <laughs> that's right, the real, the real world's gonna happen to you next. And when the real world comes, will you have the faith to be sustained? Now, I don't want to stand up here and like give us like this like doom and gloom feeling, but this is a good diagnostic. And if you've ever felt just tossed and turned by the world, or you've just gotten your legs swept out underneath of you for some reason, a relational issue, something with your work, and you just are so flattened, know that God wants to meet you in that place, but it is a time where you can have a diagnostic on the roots of your faith. We all know the stronger the tree, the deeper the roots. And if there's anything we can learn in this season coming out of this pandemic, it's like, woo, we need some roots. If we're going to be sustained, if we're going to be light in the world, if you guys are going to persevere, if I'm going to persevere with our faith, if we're going to get to the end of our life and say, yes, I persevered in my faith, we are going to need deep roots. I thought it would help us just know what deep roots look like, what they look like when they're deep, what they look like when they're not from a couple places. So come on this little Bible study with me. If you take notes, this is probably where you wanna be, okay? So here's what it looks like when we have deep roots. It looks like Christ making his home in our hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into what? God's love and keep you strong. Your roots aren't gonna go down in God's rules. Your roots aren't gonna go down in some kind of doctrine. Your roots are gonna find their place in God's love. And every day you go to your home, every day you rest in your home, every day you dwell in your home, you eat in your home, and deep roots look like Christ dwelling in your heart's home, which means that you would have an everyday ongoing relationship with him. You would have a relationship just like the ones you have with the people in your home. It would be full of regular conversations and everyday kinds of things. Rooted in Christ, Colossians says, let your roots go down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And what? Here's the fruit. You'll overflow with thankfulness. Man, if you don't know where you are in the world and with the Lord, ask yourself, am I carrying a thankful heart? What does it look like to have gratitude in my life? That's like a huge diagnostic for me, an everyday kind of thing. At the end of the day, did I have gratitude in my heart today? And guess what? This is a place that you can cultivate the soil of your heart. You can actually work on gratitude, which is a beautiful thing. Okay, want to see the other side? What does it look like when you're not rooted? Okay, so we rarely read the book of Jude 
We're going to the book of Jude today. In the book of Jude, he's actually calling out some people who are in the community, but they're divisive in the community of God. And so Jude talks about what these people look like when they don't have deep roots. Check it out. It says, these people scoff at things they don't understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them. So they bring about their own destruction. Ooh, these people are grumblers and complainers. And they live only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. This is the fruit of shallow roots. This is the roots that will not sustain us. And I just, I wanted to bring you guys to here because it's so darn practical, isn't it? It's just like, oh, okay, that's a great diagnostic. Thank you. You can find the conviction that you need here. Stop thinking about the other people in your household. Just think about you and be like, what does it look like for me to engage this idea that to be rooted deeply is what we read in Ephesians and Colossians. And the opposite of being rooted deeply is what we find here. This is what Jude had to call out in the church. He was like, there are people who are acting like this. This is the fruit of a shallow life. This is the fruit of a life that's not living, dwelling in Christ. This is where we will all go without God. I truly believe that. This is the direction we head. Now, you may not think that you manipulate others to get what you want, but perhaps you recognize a grumbling or complaining spirit within yourself. There's something really here for everyone. You're welcome. There we go. <laughs> Wickedness never brings stability, but the godly have deep roots. Our desire as a church, as a community, as people seeking God together is that we grow deep roots, but deep roots take time and attention. Rocks in the soil of our soul can block us from experiencing the fullness of God's goodness for us. But rootedness comes in what? In dwelling in God's love. Rootedness does not come out of feeling like we've got to figure it out ourselves. It comes from actually dwelling in God's love. The third group other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. And this is what Jesus had to say when he explained it. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. In another gospel, it says the deceitfulness of wealth. These are those among us and perhaps more of us than any other that would be here today. The root of the gospel has gone into the soil of our hearts. We have received it with joy. We believe it. The fruit of that seed begins to come up. It actually is looking for sunshine. It's trying to grow. It desires to bear fruit. But alongside of it are other concerns. And as those other concerns begin to grow right next to the gospel, they begin to choke out the goodness of the gospel and the seed is flimsy and the plant doesn't bear fruit. Reminds me of like wilted flowers after they've been cut for a while. And look what Jesus calls out as our main concerns, that we would be so worried about this life or we would be so busy because of wealth that we wouldn't have time to allow the fruit of the gospel to actually produce in our life. 
And we may not think of ourselves as wealthy, but certainly on the world's stage we are. Think of all of the time that you spend caring for something that you own. Caring for your laundry, caring for your home, mowing your grass, taking care of your seeds, washing your car, paying your car insurance. All of those things are related to what? The fact that we have so much. And we can have a heart that says, yeah, God, I want to make room for you, and I want, to, I want to see the kingdom of God advance through my life, but I am really busy. I'm like really busy taking care of all this stuff. And I'm not advocating any changes in that. I'm just asking you to take this home with you and to go through your life and ask, how is the gospel bearing fruit in my life? And am I finding myself really busy with things that are not of God's concern? Because it's possible that I care so deeply about my faith and I want my faith to flourish, but honestly, it's just really crowded in here. And because it's so crowded, there isn't enough space for anything to happen. And maybe, maybe this is an invitation to do some pruning. In this scenario, this is the first scenario where the word is actually received, if you notice that. The seed falls on good soil. The soil is good. It's just that in good soil, lots of things can grow. And this is where I actually think most of us are, if I'm just going to name it. You can find yourself where you are. But if I had to name where most of us would be, it would be there's good soil. And, and we receive and we desire to receive. But guess what? Lots of things grow in good soil. And God has given us agency. He's actually called us to be the ones who are cultivating that soil, to making sure that there's space so that the gospel can yield in our lives. Psalm 139 gives us a prayer that helps us in this space. If we're like, is my heart crowded? I think this is a beautiful prayer in the morning or the evening. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Isn't that a funny word? Think about what offense does. Not just offense, but offense, right? Offense is aggressive. Offense moves forward. And I think what this prayer is saying is like, hey God, if there's anything advancing in my life that's advancing against the kingdom of God, would you help me to see it? Even if it's a good thing? Would you just help me to see that anything that's advancing against the direction that you're going, would you search me for that? And it might be my worries. It might be my wealth. It might be my comfort. It might be my concerns or my fears. Would you help me see those? I believe this is a prayer that God loves to answer. And finally, the parable of Jesus ends on this beautiful high note, right? Other seed falls on good soil and it produces a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. He says in Matthew, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. I love that this is where the parable ends because at this ending, Jesus is like, and guess what? It isn't just addition, it's exponential growth. That seed that falls on the good soil of your heart, you know what, even if only 10% of your heart has good soil, it will still yield 100 times what was in that place. This is our God of abundance. You may have a heart of scarcity right now. You might have a heart that's like so devoted to your worries, but there's this little part of you that's receiving this morning and there's seed landing in that little part of your heart. And in that little part, it will yield exponentially for the goodness of God. That is why this is good news. 
because God knows who we are. He's not like, hey, only one-fourth of you are gonna make it. It's like, hey, if, if one-fourth of your heart is for me, it will yield exponential goodness, and it is so good that you'll want more of your heart to be for me. That's what happens when we experience the goodness of God, when we actually see the kingdom of God advancing and we're a part of it, and we have these like meaningful moments with people in our discipleship group, or right here in the Sunday morning, you talk about something and you feel that connection in your heart, and it yields exponential goodness in the kingdom of God. It says this in the message version, the seed and the good earth, those are good hearts that seize the word and hold on to it no matter what, sticking with it until there's a harvest. You may wonder how a story about seeds matters in a world of school shootings and racial violence and moral confusion and political distress. You may wonder if thinking about a farmer who sows seeds and what happens to those seeds really matters in this world that we live in, this chaotic and confusing world, and I would say that's exactly why this story matters. That the seed that falls on good ground falls onto a heart that is willing to suffer alongside those who suffer, but not suffer without hope. A heart where seeds can take root is about allowing strife and anxiety and struggle and yes, even your apathy to be tilled up, to break up that hard ground and seek the Lord deeply for exactly what we are facing today. If you are discouraged or confused or apathetic or numb, could it be that the cares of this world are choking out the good seed of God's word in your life? But my friend, the thorns and thistles of our struggle are no match for the powerful, tenacious, everlasting word of God. The seed that God spreads will never return void. The question is, will you open up your heart to let it in? To seek him, to seek his word, to find comfort and perseverance and wisdom and strength for exactly the problems we face today. If God's word is not fruitful, the trouble is not the seed, it's the soil. And we can't control the seed, but we can tend the soil. What fruit is the gospel producing in your life? That's a question that we can take with us. I'm going to invite Matt up, as well as the worship team, and we're going to close with this verse. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness upon you. How's the condition of your soul today? I pray that you'll take that with you as we learn together. Come on up, Matt. And I thank you for your time. I'm going to turn it over to Matt, who's going to lead us in corporate prayer. Hey, y'all. Um, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and I just want to talk a little bit about what we're praying today. And i wrote notes so that I don't keep you here uh, all day. Um, we try not to be super heavy on current events at Hill City. If you've been here for a while or you've listened to John and I on our podcast, we, we like to try to give things a couple of weeks to sort of ruminate. It's such a reactionary world that we live in that we try to just think about things a little bit. But, um, you know, I'm the dad of, of two elementary school kids. Um, and when I walked my little girl to school on Wednesday, uh, it was hard. It was really hard. When I saw my friends 
who are teachers, guys that I'm in bands with um, and who I love uh, go to school. It was really hard. Um, and it was hard because I felt afraid. Um, you know, Wednesday morning, I felt the fear that I might end up like one of our brothers and sisters um, at Rob Elementary getting that call, and that made me feel very afraid. Um, so, you know, that fear turned to anger pretty quickly. If you know me, you know that that's not surprising. And I thought, what am I going to do? I got to do something. I got to write somebody. I got to post something. I got to go to this protest. I got to do something. And um, in the middle of that, God called me to a moment of quiet. And in that quiet, he said, you do need to do something. You need to pray. Um, and you need to invite others to pray. Um, so, you know, I sat and I cried and I sat some more. Um, and I realized that I, I wanted to reach out to Nicole and ask if we could do this today. And, you know, the reason we need to pray is because what's missing here isn't outrage or anger or even a plan. There are plenty of plans. There are lots of policy proposals out there on the table. We as a nation do not lack knowledge, but we do seem to lack the will to heal. I believe that we as a people, maybe not like you specifically, but we as a people, as a culture, um, have really abandoned the Holy Spirit. Um, we've rejected the will that leads us toward peace, and we've adopted the same spirit that I was sitting in on Wednesday and that I still feel right now, and that's a spirit of fear. Um, the young man who took 10 lives in a grocery store outside of Buffalo said he was afraid of being replaced. Maybe we have so many guns because we're just afraid of each other. Many of our leaders say that they're afraid of changing the laws because it might not work. We might be afraid of losing our liberty. Uh, maybe we're afraid that there's no hope for our country. Maybe we're just afraid and we don't know why. Um, but I know one thing, that spirit of fear that we're living in has led us from Columbine to Virginia Tech to Sandy Hook to Parkland and now here we are again, we're all so afraid. But in 2 Timothy, the Bible tells us that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but one of love and wisdom. If we want the spirit of love to come and expel the spirit of fear that leads to anger and violence, then we have to pray. We have got to ask for it to come. I don't know where you're at today. You may not even know what you believe about God, but I know one thing, God believes in you. So even if you're not sure what you're praying or who you're praying to, let's pray. Um, let's pray. Paul tells us in Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, rule, the rulers, against the authorities, against the worldly powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Paul tells us to take up the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. Now, Look, whether you're a gun owner or a gun hater, if you're a Democrat, a Republican, a capitalist, a socialist, an anarchist, a whatever, if you're trying to follow Jesus and you're taking your relationship with Christ seriously, then I believe that you're called to take up the sword of the spirit and fight the evil of this world. Because, brothers and sisters, that sword is going to remain sharp after every tank and every missile and every AR-15 has rusted up and blown away. And we have got to remember that today. I believe we have the ability to change things as a, society, as a society. Like I said, there are policy proposals, there's elections, there's all that stuff. But what we need to do first 
is to be still in the presence of a loving God and see ourselves as he sees us. I'm going to give you one more scripture and then we're going to sit in prayer for a second. We can pray that our hearts will lament and through that lament will come healing and through our healing will real change come. Pray that we will grieve the kind of grief that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians when he writes, Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, where the world's grief just leads to more death. We pray that the Holy Spirit would sweep in and give us a godly grief that would lead to change in love rather than stepping out in fear. So we're just going to take a couple of seconds here, a, a minute, to just sit quietly, to grieve to lament, to be afraid, to be confused, to not know how to feel, but just be quiet together for a minute. And then I'm going to close us in a prayer that was written a little over 100 years ago in times very much like this. I, didn't, I just don't feel like I have the words anymore, so I'm going to use somebody else's. So let's just sit and pray. Lord God, um, make us instruments of your peace. Where there's hatred, help us sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, may we sow faith. Where there's despair, let us sow hope. Lord, where there's darkness, help us to bring your light. And where there's sadness, your joy. Divine Master, we seek now not so much to be consoled, but to console others. Not to be understood, but to understand. Not so much to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we're pardoned. And it is in dying to ourselves that we receive eternal life. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Amen.